0: You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth.
1: Ay! Spanning the continent to bring you the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform. I smoke pot and I like that a lot. Yeah! The Ruffie Bellbell Bell Show, Ay! the voice of the marijuana nation. Now, here's your host, Radical.
2: Good day, tokers and tokets and non-toking lovers of liberty. It is Thursday, November 19th, 2015, and it's got to be 420 somewhere in the world. Welcome to the special early edition of the Russ Belville Show on CannabisRadio.com. I'm having to come to you early today because, well, the uh, conference is going on and there is... An- historic and incredibly important panel actually it's not a panel it's a town hall meeting that i've got to be a part of it's happening at seven o'clock here it's uh black lives matter and the drug reform movement where do they intersect how can they help and, and and what importance they serve to each other Uh, It's going to be an amazing panel, an amazing town hall, so we're going to be looking forward to that at 7. I'll, of course, have the hand recorder with me and get a bunch of highlights for y'all. We'll bring those to you on the show next week. There's going to be so many highlights uh, next week from this conference, Uh, so much great information that I've gotten recorded, so we will bring as much of that to you next week as we can. But on tonight's show, all sorts of great stuff to talk about and all sorts of great people to talk to. And most important among them uh, for me today, and I'm just thrilled and honored to be able to do this interview later tonight. Coming up at 6.30 or earlier, if I can get a hold of him and get him here earlier, Chris and Jeff Mazanski will be joining us here at the desk. Of course, Jeff Mazanski is the life for pop prisoner who was, uh, I don't know if he's life, I think he's 22 years he was sentenced, but... No, I think it was life, and he did twenty two years well we'll get it all we'll get it all cleared up, but he was the one in Missouri. Uh, you remember the freeze Jeff Mazansky campaign, so uh, he's here at the conference after having served twenty two years in prison for a nonviolent marijuana offense we'll talk to jeff we'll talk to his son, who was just a teenager when Jeff went to prison about how the war on drugs obviously has uh, negatively affected them and their family, and where they move from now i mean Boy, you could be really bitter uh, after something like that. You could be really angry. Uh, and I think, uh, at least from what I've been able to discern from meeting him briefly, uh, it seems like Jeff's got his head on right as far as wanting to change these laws and wanting to help out in this uh, this reform movement. Uh, it's amazing what we've got going here, folks. Uh, this is an all-time record. Uh, I'm I, Maybe for the world. I know for sure uh, for these conferences that I've been doing in the United States of attendees and geographic diversity. We have now topped 1,500 registered attendees at this event. 1,500 people from 71 different countries who've come here to talk about ending the global war on drugs. But there's been so much diversity in the opinions as well. We've, we've heard... Uh, well, I'll tell you about some of the panels that I saw and agreed with some of the stuff I saw and disagreed vehemently with some of the stuff I saw. But uh, we'll talk about that. We'll also have people coming up here to the desk that we'll get a chance to talk to uh, and interview uh, as they come by. I'm kind of doing this ad hoc. I don't have a assistant here to be able to gather uh, interviewees up for me. So uh, we'll do as, the best we can. And I, like I said, I'll give you my impressions of what we've seen and what we've heard today. Uh, in, addition, in addition to Jeff Mazansky... Uh, at the opening plenary, we heard from Kemba Smith, and I didn't catch her, her, the rest of her name. She got married, so she appended a name. But Kemba Smith, I remember from back in the Clinton days, uh, she was uh, busted up as one of these girlfriends in a crack cocaine conspiracy where she never handled the drugs, used the drugs, sold the drugs. But because she delivered some money to somebody once, she ended up getting sentenced to 22 and a half years she got out because of clemency for president clinton we also heard from jason hernandez who got out uh from ple- uh, with clemency uh from president obama we're bringing some of those files some of those sound clips and uh, my impressions but first coming up next we've got the cannabis radio news stay tuned i'm radical russ we're live in alexandria virginia
1: You're tuned into the Russ Bellville Show, the voice
3: of the marijuana nation. CannabisRadio.com.
2: It's time for the Cannabis Radio News, covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis, medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Cannabis Radio News is available exclusively through CannabisRadio.com. Now, your marijuana headlines in 4 minutes and 20 seconds in the Cannabis Radio News. This is your Cannabis Radio News for Thursday, November 19, 2015. Tribes across the U.S. are finding marijuana is risky business nearly a year after the Justice Department policy indicated they could grow and sell pot under the same guidelines as the states. Federal raids on tribal cannabis operations in California, followed by a South Dakota tribe's move this month to burn its crop amid fears it could, ha- could next have raised questions over whether there's more to complying with DOJ standards. Then a department memo suggested last December. The uncertainty, blamed partly on thin DOJ guidelines, the fact that marijuana remains an illegal drug under federal laws, and a complex tangle of state, federal, and tribal law enforcement oversight on reservations, has led attorneys to urge tribal leaders to weigh the risks involved before moving forward with legalizing and growing pot. At a conference on tribal economic development held in Santa Fe, tribal leaders and attorneys said Wednesday that the raids have shown there may be more red tape for tribes to negotiate when it comes to legalizing cannabis than the states have faced. Utah patients with conditions ranging from cancer pain to epilepsy would be able to take medicine with cannabidiol, a marijuana extract, under a bill endorsed Wednesday by an interim legislative committee. But Health and Human Services Interim Committee backed away from the more ambitious medical marijuana plan proposed by Senator Mark Madsen, a Republican from Saratoga Springs. Madsen said he still plans to propose his legislation to the full legislature. The bills are likely to trigger lots of debate in the upcoming session as a host of sick Utahns plead for a medicine they believe ease their pain. Some medical and law enforcement professionals, meanwhile, will urge caution, as they have in a series of committee meetings since spring. Madsen's bill would allow patients also to use products with delta-9 tetrahydrocannabinol, THC, which is responsible for marijuana users high. He argued Wednesday that, quote, it's folly to pull out separate parts of the plant and expect to get the benefit. It's been a busy month helping customers understand the law when it comes to recreational marijuana use in Oregon, but for Medford Police Department canine officer Rob Havis, his department lost an officer to forced retirement. Cody, a narcotics dog, was retired early because of his knack for sniffing out marijuana. Now that the drug is legal in Oregon, the department is taking no chances with a bad bust. Although Cody is also trained to find meth, cocaine, and heroin, All a savvy drug dealer would have to do is keep a small stash of marijuana with his illegal drugs, and the probable cause for that arrest is out the window. Aside from retirement, there are other options for some of these dogs. For example, they can be transferred to jails or parole and probation where no amount of marijuana is allowed. Smoking cannabis during pregnancy... Produces infants who score better on one measure of brain development, according to a study of New Zealand children. Drinking alcohol, however, led to worse scores, and when both drugs were used, they cancelled each other out. In the study, 165 children aged four and below watched multiple moving dots on a computer screen and were asked to state the main direction in which they were moving. It is a measure of visual discrimination in the brain called global motion perception. Researchers found the scores were markedly better in those whose mothers used cannabis in pregnancy than in offspring of. Of those who didn't use it in pregnancy. The more frequently the mothers smoked and the larger the quantities, the greater the benefit. A new report finds that many local sheriff's offices are also taking advantage of the funds generated by Michigan's medical marijuana program in order to buy purchase items such as iPads, tasers, and new vehicles. According to a report from the Compassion Chronicles, a number of Michigan sheriffs have been using money from the Michigan Medical Marijuana Fund to make questionable purchases. The website points out that when Governor Rick Snyder signed House Bill 5313 last year, the fund, which is supported by money paid in by participating patients and caregivers, was intended to be used by local law enforcement, quote, for the operation and oversight of the Michigan Medical Marijuana Program. Operation and oversight grants are for education, communication, and enforcement of the Michigan Medical Marijuana Act. In addition, uh, in Macon County, where the local sheriff's department received more than $63,000, the report shows that officers did not have the opportunity to attend training, but the department did purchase a 25, 2015 Dodge Durango and a trailer to assist them in investigating participants in a medical marijuana program. Out of the $3 million made available to local sheriffs, only about $167,000 was distributed. This has been your Cannabis Radio News for Thursday, November 19, 2015. I'm Russ Belville. life without taxes. Let New Era Certified Public Accountants, neweracpas.com, handle your cannabis 280E and tax strategy. Get your business prepared with New Era CPAs Cannabis Finance Bootcamp. neweracpas.com with years of experience in the industry, we are one of the nation's leading accounting firms for growers, dispensaries and ancillary companies from Washington to California. neweracpas.com Five of the last nine major party candidates to run for president, three of the last nine vice presidential candidates, and the last three two-term presidents have all smoked pot. Marijuana, the gateway drug to the White House. This is the Russ Belville Show.
3: Maui Waui, Acapulco Gold, California Kush, our strains stretch everywhere too. This is the Cannabis Radio Network.
2: Welcome back, everybody. We are live at the Reform Conference 2015 and joining me here at the desk. uh, It's my pleasure to welcome... Responsible Ohio and Chief Executive Officer of Strategy Network. It's Ian James from Ohio. How are you doing, Ian? Hey
4: Russ, I'm good. Thanks for having me.
2: I'm glad to have you here. And I got the chance to be in Columbus on election night. for, I know. for the issue three, which did not turn out I'm as sorry. I hoped. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, how how have things been for you since? And what's uh, what's happening now? What direction do you, do you take after you know suffering this defeat
4: in well, Ohio? Well, luckily, you know, I just I just got in here from a memorial service where we had cremated Buddy. Um, so <laughs> yes, gone buddy has gone. Well,
2: uh, I think that'll uh, that'll ring yes. on uh, some yeah. ears here. They'll be happy here.
4: Yeah, that. I mean, look, you know, I I've been doing this for you know thirty some, thirty three some odd years. I'm almost fifty years old, and uh, you know, campaigns and elections come with with wins and, and losses. Uh, we made some some tactical mistakes here, and, I'm, and i you know, I think that you have to be big enough to admit those mistakes and move forward. You have to figure out a way forward because it's just too damn important to to you know leave prohibition in place. So you know, self selection, limited markets. Uh, bad idea. Not going to happen. Buddy dead. Uh, you know, we we very publicly stumbled. We fell. We picked ourselves up. We're starting a process of reassessing what what worked, what didn't work. We're having a very broad based. Uh, consensus-building conversation around the state of Ohio. We're coming back in 16. Uh, I think you're going to be happy to hear that we're going to have a, a fully open, free market where anybody that's 21 and older will be able to own and operate their own grow, manufacturing, retail. Uh, they're going to be able to uh, home grow without permit. There's going to be uh, hemp grow for farmers, in Ohio is a big agricultural state. Uh, and, uh, you, know, we're, you know, we're also going to be able to take care of you know, uh, the, the medical marijuana patients because those are the folks that get left behind a lot of times in this conversation. And and we have been very, you know, I, I got a bad rap of you know, people saying, oh, you're using the patients. No, the, the patients need the help. You know, they, we have chronically ill and terminally ill folks that, Uh, really do need the assistance that medical marijuana provides, and we're going to provide that uh, to them and for them, as well as the adult personal use aspect.
2: So... uh Moving forward, then, uh, the next campaign, we're not going to have the the buddy. We're not going to have the restriction on the grow lands. It'll be much more open. Mm -hmm. Uh, Is there a model you compare it to that already exists in Oregon or Colorado?
4: You know, I I don't know that there is, Russ, because one of the things that that came through, you remember uh, we had issue two in Ohio. Uh It was a very, the far-reaching aspects of issue two, I don't think the voters really fully get what they did. Mm -hmm. Uh, But what they ended up doing was they said that we can't establish any tax Uh, We can't, uh, and you know, it's even to the point we think that you might not even be able to establish a fee, a licensing fee. Um, And you, uh, essentially, you can't establish any sort of market that's not available to others. So, you know, this will be as, uh, if you want a free market, baby, you're going to get it. Uh, And uh, I believe that when this comes right down to it, we're going to treat marijuana, Industry just like any retailer in Ohio. So whatever taxes those retailers pay—sales tax, cat tax, or consumer or or some sort of uh, taxation uh, uh, on—I don't even know what the hell cat tax Uh, is—but income tax, sales tax, you know, property tax—all those taxes that are paid by retailers and other businesses will be paid. And I, I, you know, there is a possibility that Ohio will have the lowest uh, tax rate in the country because of issue two.
2: Now, does this set up but uh, a, a political problem in that uh, you know a previous? Uh, Your previous bill, uh, we we tried to sell it with the idea of we'd have more control because there's 10, you know, there's not going to be as many. If there's a bad actor, you can pick them out pretty quick out of the crowd. Do you feel that the people of Ohio are ready for something? I mean, it sounds like it's the only choice you've got, but are they ready for something that's going to be so much more open than even a Colorado
4: or an Oregon I I think the answer is yes, because ultimately what we found was, um, you know, trying to limit for all those reasons you articulated and... Uh, making certain that regulation was the the you know the the ability for the state to regulate was there you know there's going to have to be uh, a funding mechanism that comes about from licensing um, to est- establish the a marijuana control commission that's going to have real teeth and have the ability to regulate uh, and it's going to have to grow as it as it need grow. Uh, and deal with the, the realities of that growth. I mean, that's unfortunately the only way that, you know, with issue two, that we can really do this uh, now. So if you wanted free market, baby, you're going to get it.
2: Sounds like it. All right. We're speaking with Ian James from uh, the Responsible Ohio campaign, also with the Strategy Network. Now, there were, you know, lots of critics. Uh, I wasn't among them. I thought, you know, legalized marijuana is what? It's legal. Right. I'm for it. Yep. <laughs> I think we can yep. work the details mm-hmm. out. But there were a lot. There are there were people in the mar- marijuana reform community that uh, took this as uh, as the money people coming yeah. in that didn't really yeah. know a whole lot about the weed world. And now it's even being used in California by the grassroots groups to try to say, "Watch out for Sean Parker, because right. here comes another capitalist." Right. So, uh, h- how do you how do you deal with that sort well,
4: of Well, you know, I was just on a panel uh, with Graham Boyd and and the folks from MVP and, and the Brookings Institute and, and uh, the folks from Florida and uh, BISC. and and this was a question that came up: How do you harmonize the the advocacy world with the the political realities of a very purple state like Ohio? Right. We're not red. We're not blue. We are very purple. We're a battleground state. Right. So how do you harmonize that so that people uh, who have worked for a generation to bring about legalization uh, have input into the the process and their voices are heard, uh, their concerns are met? Uh, but you you balance that with the political reality of uh, how do you get something passed? I mean, and that's you know that is the tightrope I'm walking right now. Uh, and look, I'm a big boy. I I, I get the. Crap knocked out of me every once in a while. I almost said a bad word, but I'm not sure I should do oh, that. Oh, okay, that's right. We're in the internet. Shit. So, shit. Yeah, fuck it. <laughs> fuck it, right? right. Uh, I, I just said that in the, in the panel. I was like, oh, I promise I wasn't going to do that. Oh. So, but because I'm from, also from Appalachia and we swear a lot. Um, but, you know, it is it is a balance and it it's, you know, there are some real uh, nuances here. And I just got through with a, uh, a meeting in the hallway with some some folks that really hated the Responsible Ohio, which is also getting Jettisoned in the name. We're going to rebrand everything, uh, so you know they're looking at it. They're like, "Oh my God, Ian! You know we we so much didn't like that. We're not sure we're ever going to like what you've got." And I said, "You know what? You've got to get over that yeah. because if you if you can't release your your animus about something that's already done and gone." then you're never going to move forward. And as advocates, you know, look, I worked in the, in the marriage equality uh, world for three years, and I had this battle going on with the establishment gays and, and and the, the, the working class gays. And it was, you know, we finally all won. But we only won because we finally said, okay, this is the way forward. And that's what we've got to do with uh, with marijuana reform.
2: All right. Now, when you went forward with the 2015 campaign, the, the famously the way it was funded was these guys invested yeah. to be part of it. How are you funding this next campaign? It,
4: you know, it's fascinating. I I, uh, I spent 25 million dollars uh and we we fell we stumbled um, but all of those funders have said you know what I'm with you on this I want to go forward on this I want to make sure that uh we end prohibition I see a way forward doing that uh so they're committed to going forward in this because it's an open and free market there're going to be other opportunities for other people to come in and and uh, also be a part of the not only the campaign but this new industry regulated industry and you know so we're starting with funding, which is always a biggie, uh, and we're, we've got self-funding, but we're going we're gonna to raise more money uh, to not only get on the ballot, uh, but then run an effective winning campaign. And you know, One of the things we had that was really good here uh, was we, we spent a ton of time figuring out what Ohio voters wanted and didn't want, so we have more data about what Ohioans think about than anybody in the world. Um, we also did some really great things. We built a foundation. Of, of being able to reach out to people. We have uh, a way to do a number of different things uh, from the Internet and, and other uh, uh, constructs. We, we, you know, we were on TV for three months, uh, radio the same. We, uh, we knock on a million doors. We, we conducted a, a 250,000 uh, surveys at the door with iPads. I mean, we have a team that's ready to go. When we have the right language, it's easier to bring the advocates on board uh, you know, the lopsided loss wasn't indicative of where Ohio voters are on reform and, and legalization. It's where they were on the construct of what we were providing. And I think once we're big enough to admit that, you know, uh, clarity, you know, begets us and, we've, and we can figure our way forward to winning.
2: You know, I, I got to speak at a Women Grow event a couple days after the election loss. Mm-hmm. And in addressing the people, you know, there's still tears. There's still oh, sadness. Sure. A lot of these people put their hearts yeah. and souls into it. And uh, one of the things I pointed out to them was in 2014, yeah. I'm from Oregon. Yeah. While Washington and Colorado are passing with 55%, Oregon's failing with 46%. Right. And I pointed out to people that that's not really so much a loss if you look at it this way. We got forty six percent of the people to vote for that, right. and then once we improve it, yeah, it's exactly. Do so you exactly. get that feeling? I, like, wow, we got thirty six percent on yeah,
4: this. Absolutely, <laughs> you you are absolutely spot on where my my head is. I mean, I know now what the base is. Right, the hardcore base is thirty six. I can't go lower. I can't go beyond below that. <laughs> so we're we're there, and and you know, building off of this. I mean, we've we've literally conducted surveys now and had and had town halls and conversations with with thousands of Ohioans in the last. 16 days since the election and, and it seems like it's a month but it's 16 days since the election and to a person that's that opposed responsible ohio but's a, but a pro marijuana advocate set has come up and said okay i like where you're going now i can get behind this i couldn't get behind this other thing but i can get behind this and you know i, I appreciate that you're actually admitting that, that you made a mistake yeah and i mean look if you can't make if you can't ever admit that you make a mistake you know, then you probably haven't done much because look, I have fucked up in my life and I've learned a lot more from my failures than I have from my successes. I've done that in life. I've done that in business. I've done that in campaigns. And the things that we've learned from this failure, this misstep uh, are pretty significant uh, to allow us to win in the future.
2: Excellent. Ian James from the Strategy Network, they're moving forward with a 2016 uh, legalization. Uh, it, it'd be constitutional amendments. So constitutional right. amendment, that's right. So um, you have to write it in such a way that it's not uh, going to go askew of issue two. Right. So no special benefits, no special tax rates, no oligopolies, markets for special right. folks. Right. Um, I, I'm excited to see something happen for 2016 in Ohio, and uh, you've always uh, you've always got a friend here to be well, able to thank speak you. To and, and
4: one one other quick thing is, you know, we we also have the Fresh Start Act coming up next year. You know, we, we yes. got enough signatures to get that to the legislature, and I, and I I'm very proud of that because that's you know other than Oregon, who immediately after passing legalization came back with a reform, kind of a sentencing reform and, and uh, 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 expungement. You know, we were doing that during um, our campaign, so we've we've teed that up. It's at the legislature. If they don't deal with it this next this year, uh, this next year, rather, in four months, we will put it on the ballot in 16 with the legalization. I, and I think that that's, that's the right thing to do. This is about social justice. It's about reform. It's about reframing this whole construct and making sure we can actually bring people out of the shadow, into the light, and make it a better day.
2: Excellent. Ian James, thank you for uh, sitting down with us. And do you have any contact information or websites you want people to know about?
4: <sighs> Geez, I don't know. I, you know, I, we're, we're we're moving everything over, so I don't know what our new website you don't have a is. New logo the the domain. I know what the domain is, but I don't know that it's up.
2: Oh, okay. <laughs> so, we'll hold off on that. Okay, ben. have me back. I will definitely have you back. And you let us know what's happening with all the stuff happening in Ohio. If we can get Ohio in 2016 with the other states that are going in yep. the West Coast and the Northeast, and then smack dab in the middle of Ohio, that'd be fantastic. Appreciate you being here, Ian, and uh, thank you for uh, joining us. Thank
4: you for having me. Appreciate it. That's just how white folks will do you.
2: All right, folks, it's a little after 20 after. It's like 27 after because we were having such a good conversation, I didn't want to interrupt it. But, uh, you know, it's 420 all the time on CannabisRadio.com. So if you smoke, got them, smoke them, light them, do it. We'll be right back. Get .buzz. is the internet platform that fuels community interest, excitement, and new experiences. .buzz is the premier online destination for internet users seeking the latest news on a variety of topics. .buzz appeals to groups active in blogging, communications, journalism, advertising, and marketing. .buzz offers registrants a stronger alternative to the shrinking namespace of existing top-level domain names, such as .com, .net, and .org. Get your name now at Get.buzz.
6: More flavor.
1: Activism begins with ACT. The Rush Belleville Show features the stories of hardworking grassroots activists working for an end to prohibition in today's Activist Agenda.
2: Get.Buzz.buzz .buzz. is the internet platform that fuels community interest, excitement, and new experiences. .buzz is the premier online destination for internet users seeking the latest news on a variety of topics. .buzz appeals to groups active in blogging, communications, journalism, advertising, and marketing. .buzz offers registrants a stronger alternative to the shrinking namespace of existing top-level domain names, such as .com, .net, and .org. Get your name now at Get.buzz.
6: more flavor.
1: Activism begins with ACT. The Rush Belleville Show features the stories of hardworking grassroots activists working for an end to prohibition in today's activist agenda.
2: Welcome back, everybody. We are live at Reform Conference 2015 here in Alexandria, Virginia, and joining us at the desk is a previous guest on the show from our Reformers Reader segment, the author of Cornbread Mafia. We got Jim Higdon in the house. How are you doing, Jim? Oh, got to turn your mic on. That'll work. Hi, Russ. Great to be back. Even better. All right. So uh, you said that you have something very important you're working on that our audience can help
7: with. Let's talk about that. Hi there, everybody. I'm working on a story uh, uh, about um, workers who have transitioned from the illegal marketplace to the legal marketplace. And I'm doing it as an oral history, so I need a lot of interviews with a lot of people who fit this particular profile. Because the end product will have zero of my own language in it. It will only be quotations from people who have made that transition from the illegal to the to the legal marketplace. And surprisingly, this story has not been written yet. So are
2: we talking people that uh, were former weed growers, uh you know, clandestinely, now becoming legal weed growers, or just moving into any legal sort of business.
7: Oh, the first one. So, okay, so, okay. so, legal illegal weed growers who were originally growing outside the law, who have now found found a way to grow inside the law. And dealers too. Yes. Yeah, like if you yeah. want
2: to open a shop or something. Okay, that right. sounds very interesting. Uh, how would people get in touch with you if they wanted
7: to do that? Uh, the easiest way would be on Twitter, at Jim Higdon, J-I-M-H-I-G-D-O-N, or Facebook.com slash Jim Higdon. I mean, those are those are the easiest, most convenient ways for people to reach me on social media. So, you know, I am on kind of a deadline for this, folks. So, if you, you know, if you fit that profile or know someone who does, reach out.
2: All right. We'll uh, get that promoted through our social media as well. Now, Jim, like we last talked, was about your book, The Cornbread Mafia. How has things been with regard to the book since then?
7: So The Cornbread Mafia, for folks who don't know, is the story of um, uh, 70 country boys from Kentucky in the 80s arrested on 30 farms in 10 states with 200 tons of marijuana and what the federal government considered the largest marijuana syndicate in American history. And um, of those 70 that were busted, zero of them talked. So... um, uh, I wrote that book. It came out a few years ago, and it's been really well. It's exceeded everyone's expectations sales wise, but mine. Uh, but I've been on this long tail book tour. Book tours are supposed to last two or three months, and I'm three years out. In October, I had four events, uh, and I'm here again. You know, this is uh, it, you know my publication date was a year before the 2013 conference when we met. And here it is, the 15 conference, and I'm still out doing events, vlogging wow. the book. So, uh, it, the, it, it's had a long tail, and my Amazon rank goes up and down. So, yeah. um, you know, uh, you can you can check out uh, Cornbread Mafia on Amazon and download it in Ki- Kindle or or uh, whatever you like. What about the subjects of the book?
2: How have their lives been, or have you followed them since?
7: Uh, well, Johnny Boone, the guy on the cover of my book, remains a federal fugitive. So there's that. Uh, he was busted in May of 2008 with 2,000 seedlings in flower pots, okay. and that was going to be his third federal strike and a life in prison. So instead of surrendering to a death sentence, he went on the run, played catch me if you can, and they haven't caught him yet. Wow. Uh, uh, I got subpoenaed over that because I took some photographs of him in a in a tropical location that was clearly not Kentucky, and the U.S. Marshals and the DEA wanted to know. Where it was that I had taken those photos, and I wasn't inclined to share that with them. So, um, Good for you. well, you know, uh, after writing a book about 70 country boys who didn't talk, you know, to turn around and talk would be <laughs> <laughs> tragically ironic. <laughs> you just, you know, you, you learn to respect these guys and what they surrendered, what they sacrificed yeah. uh, to protect other people. And once you realize what people have sacrificed by keeping quiet, it's really easy to do the right thing.
2: Yeah, well, y- your, that story exemplifies a hat that uh, an attorney friend of mine named John Lucy wears. He's from North Carolina, and he, his hat says, Nobody talks, everybody walks. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's exactly the story. We're talking to Jim Higdon here, uh, the author of Cornbread Mafia, also uh, working on a project to do uh, oral histories uh, in, as a new book for people that were in the illegal marijuana market who are moving, who've moved into the legal marijuana market, Colorado, Oregon, Alaska, uh, and uh, Washington. So if you're interested in that, uh, hit him up on Twitter, at Jim Higdon, uh, H-I-G-D-O-N, and get involved in that. You can be a part of that new book. A lot easier to write a book when everybody, it's everybody else's words, right?
7: <laughs> well, this is a story for Thrillist, so it won't be a, it won't be a book. It'll be a quick turnaround. Oh, okay. Uh, it's a feature for Thrillist, but you know, uh, but uh, their stories are really good and get read. And the oral histories for Thrillist have been, um, you know, sort of a really great model for new journalism. Um, and uh, you know, have you be a part of uh, their their freelancing team. All right?
2: Have you had a chance to uh, sit in or participate on any of these uh, panels? Uh, yeah. What's I- been most interesting? to
7: you? the uh, the one that really knocked me on my on my rear end was this faith and uh, drug war panel that uh, Sharon and I went to all these uh, um, uh, black ministers and um, uh, a Jewish rabbi and one Calvinist minister uh, that, that, there were no Catholics which was surprising um, and you know most of them located in Chicago and DC but they're very powerful voices for for um, Unwinding the systemic racism of the drug war, um, you know, as as a system, as a as a as a you know a uh, as an unclean um, product of institutionalized racism, it was a it was a very powerful uh, hour and change. I thought I'd sit in for a little bit and go catch another one. I got uh, I got wrapped up in it pretty good. Wow.
2: There's so much to uh, be learned here at the International Drug Reform Conference 2015. They just topped 1,500 registrants wow. from 71 countries. So this next one will be in the South. It's going to be October 11th through 14th in Atlanta, Georgia. So you've got two years to plan for this. If you are at all interested in reform, you got to come out to one of these conferences, and especially the Reform Conference, because just the sheer volume of people that are here.
7: If your type of person is Type A stoners, this is your place, right? Yeah. Like you got a lot of people who who uh, who are using drugs but are uh, active in society, getting shit done. can I say that, yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, yeah, just people getting stuff done in this world uh, while uh, you know not letting uh, people's aversion to drugs hold them back.
2: Yeah, we've seen uh, one of the, I think it's the European group that's here, Transform, that has the T-shirt that says, Nice People Do Drugs. Yeah. Nice People Take Drugs, that's right. I I wanted to say, Nice People Consume Drugs. Nice People Take Drugs, that sounds like someone swiping my stash. Right, but
7: (laughs) consume might might not fit on a T-shirt. That might
2: not fit, yeah. (laughs) Jim, this is so awesome to see you here, and before we go, is there anything else you wanted
8: to bring up, or...
7: No, I think it's great it's good to see you I, you know as soon as I came in I was wondering you know back you know remembering back to the 2013 conference in Denver and I was like wonder when uh, we're gonna get the old gang back together and then turned around and I saw like you know instantly like a half a dozen people that I, that, that I recognized from 13 and it's just sort of uh, like uh, you know getting the band back together so it's been it's been uh, it's been great to be here
2: it is great to be here all right we're gonna take a break and when we come back we'll have more from reform conference 2015 live in Alexandria Virginia don't touch that dial we're right
1: back to radical russ in just a few minutes hey does anybody really have a dial anymore you're listening to the russ bellville show
7: most people who use don't have a problem so i think that you need to think about policy in that way while educating people properly about marijuana i think that's the way to go
3: burning issues only on cannabisradio.com
9: mjwellness.com the largest medical marijuana community in the world Connect with thousands of patients, doctors, industry leaders, and businesses through shared personal experiences along our worldwide network. Discover new therapies and benefits with content tailored to you. Come grow your network on MJWellness.com. You're not alone. Your wellness matters. Learn, live, and thrive. Check out MJWellness.com today.
2: The Fingerboard Extension has fretted instruments to enhance your creativity. It has new and used guitars and banjos from beginning to high class. The Fingerboard Extension has National Resophonic, Husson Dalton, Larrabee, Heritage, and Recording King guitars, and Mike Ramsey, Wildwood, Gold Tone, and Recording King banjos. The Fingerboard Extension also has drum stuff, used gear, and parts. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension, downtown Corvallis, Oregon, at 120 Northwest 2nd, or check out the inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com and reverb.com.
1: Activism begins with act. The Rush Belleville Show features the stories of hard-working grassroots activists working
2: for an end to Prohibition in today's Activist Agenda. Welcome back, everybody. We are live from Alexandria, Virginia at the International Drug Policy Reform Conference 2015. And we've got a perfect guest for Activist Agenda. I've just met the man twice, a uh, young man who's going to college in North Georgia. Please introduce yourself to the audience and let's talk.
10: Hey, Russ. uh, My name is Jeremy Sharp. Uh, I'm with Students for Sensible Drug Policy. I actually sit on the board of directors. Um, It's great to be up here at the DPA, and uh, also good to meet you. Uh, I think we'd run into each other about a year and a half ago at the uh, Southern Cannabis Conference at Georgia Tech, so good to see you, man.
2: Good to to have you back here, and our, our mutual friend Sharon from Peachtree Normal was telling me that that now that you've become a little bit more high profile as an activist and, and are making some waves, that it's starting to come back and you know, get you some harassment. Can you talk a little bit about that? To uh, be honest with you, Russ,
10: I, I've, I started SSDP about two years ago, and uh, from the get-go in Georgia, I received harassment from police, uh, undercover, narcotics agents, uh, mostly local, Local jokers, I guess you could say. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I just kind of dodged the punches and uh, just rolled with it and, and was very successful and was able to build up uh, enough political alliances to, uh, where things like that didn't matter. Uh, and the biggest reason that no one was really messing with me uh, is we had worked on the medical amnesty law. And, uh, I mean, to date, we've saved almost uh, 400 lives with uh, just Naloxone access with it. Um, and so, you know, I mean, it's, it's really hard to come at somebody like that, you know, when you're doing that well. Um, and so this semester, uh, our SSDP chapters in Georgia have been working on Good Sam for two years. And uh, a lot of people were really excited to move the agenda towards marijuana reform. Uh, I, myself included, uh, everybody was just super energized. And so, you know, we, we decided that this semester was going to be it. And uh, we've been making moves um, and finally, on uh, the Gainesville campus, we have four campuses, and the Delonga campus. Both days, we did a, uh, a meeting uh, where we had Sharon, um, and she came and spoke about all the racial disparities, the, the harms of mar- marijuana prohibition. I mean, y- you know the, 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 the rhetoric. Um, so at the first place, we got over 170 letters sent. So huge, huge deal. That's people writing their congressmen, their local senators, signing things, uh, signing petitions, all that stuff. And um, so our second place was the first uh, time we did it at Dahlonega that day. It was the first time i have been off that campus. Um, And uh, just from the get-go, we were getting our our posters torn down. Um, You know, we tried to keep it kosher, um, but I passed out 40 posters. Went back the day of the event, all of my posters had gotten torn down. Uh, We got to the event, it was what, about 6 o'clock? Didn't have uh, our seats aligned, they weren't set up. Um, you know, didn't have the power cords for the computers, all that kind of stuff. So we went on with it, we had our pizza, had about 30, 40 people come out, had great responses from the community, from the students, everything. And uh, on my way here to the DPA conference today, uh, I just got off the phone, you know, uh, from my vice president, whoever sees the Gainesville campus, and he said all the advisors have been emailing and calling them. Uh, I had several teachers say things to them. Uh, The Delonga campus, which is where our our military uh, cadets are, the conservative campus, uh, was up in arms. Um, You know, I've been told by a lot of professors to be on my my P's and Q's to watch my
2: back, uh, just to be careful. That's terrible, man. That's terrible. Now, uh, you you mentioned a couple of things uh, that maybe some people don't know what they are, medical amnesty and good Sam. So tell folks what those are.
10: All right. Well, in Georgia, medical amnesty is, uh, well, I guess anywhere. It means you can call for help in a drug or alcohol overdose and not get into trouble. Granted, you don't have uh, copious amounts of drugs. Um, it you know, has limited immunities, and they're designed to protect uh, users um, and to promote, promote people for calling. And then uh, with that, there's uh, naloxone access with, uh, I mean, our overprescription of uh, our narcotics and opioids in this country. Uh, we have a huge opioid endemic, both heroin, prescription, everything. And, uh, I mean, we're outnumbering car wrecks. Our, our, more people die from uh, opioid overdoses and drug overdoses than car wrecks right now in America. Yeah. Um, and so, with Georgia, uh, we ha- we're setting precedent. Um, and we're far behind on the marijuana issue. I mean, we're 20 years behind. Uh, it- it's rural South. You, you're- you meet some uh, very conservative ignorance. And uh, you know, I- I'm a conservative. I, I vote Republican. Um, but there- there's a there's a dogma that we have to get over. And uh, you know, people like Sharon are kicking kicking ass. Okay, I didn't know the SEC is <laughs> no, on. We're, we're internet kicking, baby. Okay, <laughs> kicking ass. I love her. She's she's rocking Georgia. I mean, we had the Black Caucus, you know, asking us how to how to run how to run a marijuana. They're here. Okay, They're here. yeah. Black okay, caucus is here. the Black Caucus is here, so that's awesome. Uh, I got to speak in front of them too. So you know, we're making our moves and, and we're undaunted. I mean, if they want to come after us, we got friends. So you know, I mean, it's it's all a community here. So we look out for each other, at least we do in Georgia. I know look out for Sharon. She looks out for me.
2: So that's wonderful, man. And so tell, uh, what do you study in school?
10: Uh, I am political science concentration in pre-law. Uh, you know, I got into school a little bit late, and uh, my ultimate goal is to get into law school and just kind of throw a wrench into the government. Well, uh, that
2: sounds like an admirable goal if you <laughs> ask me, man. Well, I, I appreciate your story and talking about how this, you know, your activism has affected you, and it, it affects everybody that goes into it in one way or another. Uh, after college and you're and, and, and older and, and working on this how long do you think it's going to take in Georgia from your perspective, looking at it as a admit Uh
10: we I doubt we'll have a functioning medical program within five years we definitely need to get the contemporary governor deal out of office uh, he's made some progress in criminal justice reform but he's remained obstinate in terms of marijuana so he needs to come out uh, legalize marijuana I don't know, I think a lot of people have to die Wait, we're
2: not advocating that anybody take that up. It's just, you know, eventually. Yeah, sorry. (laughs) They're going to pass away. (laughs) Yeah,
10: no no inference like that. Uh, Yeah, FBI might be listening. Sorry, (laughs) sorry.
2: But, uh, no, we don't expect that. Baby
10: boomers, baby boomers. That's right. Sorry.
2: Do you have any uh, contact information or website information you want to give out?
10: Um, You know, if you guys ever want to help SSDP out, you know, we're getting people out to these conferences, we're making waves in seven countries and 276 campuses. So go there. Donate. Donate to uh, Atlanta Harm Reduction. You'll save a life. $40 is saving a life right now with Naloxone. Um, it's kind of funny. Uh, we're all private. No, Nobody helps us, but uh,
2: we help each other, I guess. That's cool. Well, thank you for being here on the show uh, volunteering your story, and good luck with everything you're working on. Thank you, Russ. Alright, we're going to take another break, and when we come back, we're going to have some anti-drug public service announcement of the day just so we can say we're all fair and balanced here uh i think we're going to hear from Pee Wee herman so stay tuned for that and then after that i've got some recording from the opening plenary session of kemba smith and uh, uh, jason hernandez two prisoners who were granted clemency in the drug war you're listening to the russ belville show special edition live from alexandria virginia at reform conference 2015.
1: Show the voice of the marijuana nation.
3: Earn your PhD in THC monetization with cannabisradio.com. Don't be late.
4: is crack rock cocaine
5: it isn't glamorous or cool or kid stuff it's the most addictive kind of cocaine and it can kill you what's really
4: bad is nobody knows how much it takes so every time you use it you risk dying it isn't worth it look everybody
5: wants to be cool but doing it with crack isn't just wrong be dead wrong.
2: This has been the anti-drug public service announcement of the day. To cure this sort of reefer madness, listen to the Russ Belville show every weekday on 420radio.org.
7: I experimented with marijuana a time or two, and I didn't like it, and didn't inhale.
8: One major responsibility is to encourage people to use less drugs. Entirely legitimate topic uh, for debate.
2: Radical Rant. Welcome back, everybody. Radical Russ here. We are live in Alexandria, Virginia at the 2015 International Drug Reform Conference. It's put on by the Drug Policy Alliance in conjunction with many, many sponsors, and we began the day with an incredible opening plenary session that featured speeches uh from a great variety. We heard from three US uh well, uh, Congress two congressmen and a representative or senator I should say. Uh Senator Cory Booker opened up the event with uh, a pre-taped uh pre taped speech or address that he gave. Followed by uh, Representative Earl Blumenauer, my congressman, who spoke live on stage. And he was followed by Representative Hakeem Nix from uh, Brooklyn. So we had three different federal representatives that were uh, speaking to us. That was... uh, unprecedented I think in a uh, drug reform event I also think uh, Congressman uh, Dana Rohrbacher is somewhere around so we may even hear from him on one of these days but uh, to me I was most impressed uh, by the talks that were given by two people who had served prison time in this war on drugs who had their sentences commuted uh, who were granted clemency. And the first one we're going to hear from is Kemba Smith, who's got such an amazing story. Uh, you'll hear Asha Bandele uh, introducing her from today's earlier plenary session.
0: When I was uh, with you in 2013, we did this amazing, amazing action. And we simply asked you, with the help of Travis and I, Travis, you in the house... Travis Maurer helped us with the technology so that you could text message (laughs) 420-420, glad that was on purpose, and and demand that those who had been, who could receive relief under the Fair Sentencing Act, since you did that, more than 6,000 people have come home. We're going to think about that and revisit that today, but before we do there's somebody I want to bring up and have speak to you. Because we say 6,000 people and that's a number, but for every number there's a name. And the first person who let me know in 1994 about the horrors of this dirty, stinking drug war was the story of a young woman named Canvas Smith. I read it in the pages of Emerge magazine, but you can still get magazines and not just online. And I looked at this beautiful young woman who reminded me of me, who went to an HBCU like I did, who was a mother like I wanted to be and would be soon. And I looked at what they had done to her and sentencing her to 24 and a half years in prison and it horrified me and I knew that as part of my work as a prison reform activist, I also had to dismantle the drug war. Thank you, Kemba Smith, for that great learning moment, although it came at such a brutal expense. And even as it did, and she came home, she has honored all of us by remembering the edict that we leave no soldier behind. Every day since the sister has been home, she has not only raised her two beautiful children, but she has stood on the front lines demanding that we set the captives free. for justice, Kemba Smith Premium.
11: But, in the spirit of Harriet Tubman, in the spirit of Save Her Name, my name is Kimba Smith-Pradia. Today, I'm a wife and a mother with a 20-year-old son and a 5-year-old daughter. In 1989, I was a college student at Hampton University, and I met a very charismatic man who I'd seen on campus hanging out with students or picking up girls. I fell in love with him and became his girlfriend even though I knew he was a drug dealer. I felt like some of the other college girls thinking what he did was his business and I'm doing school. During this three and a half year relationship, the federal government was building a case against him and they knew that one time he instructed me to pick up money from an individual. They knew that I was his current girlfriend They knew that I was being abused, and they knew that he killed his best friend because he thought he was cooperating with the authorities. The government stated that I never handled, used, or sold the drugs that were involved with the case, but yet they still indicted me with hopes by having me in custody that they would eventually get to him. On September 1st, 1994, I turned myself into the Eastern District Courthouse of Norfolk, Virginia, seven months pregnant because the prosecutor assured me that if I did, he would allow me a bond to go home to give birth to my son. He lied.
9: Then a month later,
11: after I turned myself in, my boyfriend was found murdered in the same apartment that we had been living in in Seattle, Washington. After I learned of his death, the jail kept me on suicide watch because they were concerned about my mental and emotional stability. On December 12, 1994, I gave birth to my son, where five minutes after I gave birth to him, my leg had to be shackled to the bed. But when the political climate, with the political climate of the criminal justice system in the 1990s, there was no room to see me as a human being. I was seen as a statistic another single young black mother who was involved with drugs. I was seen as a disposable. I was seen exactly the way scores of other black women like me were seen, like our lives had no value. The judge sentenced me to 24 and a half years and six months in federal prison. I was never supposed to spend any of my son's childhood with him. I was 23 at the time, and I was supposed to stay in prison longer than I had been living on this earth until I was 45 years old. I thank God for the media, in particular black media, because George Curry, editor of Emerge magazine, was the first to do an extensive article about my case, which led to Elaine Jones and the NAACP Legal Defense Fund taking on my case pro bono. I'm not still in prison today. I'm not still in prison today because I had parents and a family who deeply dedicated and sacrificed a great deal to support me. Because of people like Julie from FAM. Because of Ethan Nadelman because of Deborah Small, because of Congressman Bobby Scott and Maxine Waters, because of
5: people like many of you
11: gathered in this room today. Their and your activism made national magazines and television shows take notice, such as The Washington Post, The New York Times, Glamour Magazine, Nightline, BET, The View, just to name a few. And on December 22nd, after serving six and a half years, I was granted clemency by former President Bill Clinton. Since then, I've become a national and international public speaker, completed my college degree, bought a home, got married, fought to get my voting rights restored, wrote a book, raised my son, who is now a senior at Washington and Lee University on a full ride, And this year, and this year, I was appointed to the Virginia Criminal Sentencing Commission by Virginia Governor Terry McCullough. Thank you, but understand, that's not what I've come to share today. Even through my successes, my heart still aches because I have a sense of survivor's guilt. Organizations didn't come together and devote resources just to free me. It was done in hopes that my case would set a precedent for others. For thousands of women just like me. No group was more incarcerated than black and brown women in the 1990s. And yet no group has benefited less from the work we've done together to dismantle the disparities in sentencing and race-based outcomes in July this year I remember getting a message from random people on Facebook about President Obama commuting 46 people sentences who had non-violent drug offenses immediately I went online to search for a list of names I was disappointed that there were only five women on that list. It was painful not to see at least one person I knew to be on that list. I'm here to say that our work is not yet done. I have faith that many more will come home before President Obama goes out of office. My concern is will these women have the resources necessary to put the pieces of their lives back together and to reunite with their families for survival? Will they have a job? Will they have a home? Will they have a probation officer expecting them to fail? Or will they have a compassionate probation officer who will understand their heart, their desire to want to do better and succeed even through... Even though they may get doors shut in their face, or have a child who was abused during their incarceration, or have never been in a healthy romantic relationship in their lives, or they've gotten no real drug treatment in prison and they've relapsed, will their needs be met? Because you can't expect women to have been incarcerated for over 10, 20 years and have everything just fall in place. These are real
5: issues
11: that needs to be addressed. I'm here to be a voice for the many that deserve their freedom. I've come to say that I'm not meant to be here. I was not meant to be here. My release date was in 2016. But here I am because of you. Next time, next time we stand together, then so should Michelle West. Danielle Metz, Ramona Brandt, Alice Johnson, Teresa Griffin, Sharonda Jones, Minnie Thomas, Patricia Clark, Carol Richardson. And these are just black women I know, that I just know, who have a life sentence. Most, if not all, of them have been incarcerated for over 20 years, and there are tens and thousands of other women who may not have a life sentence, but they have children and families and histories of abuse who pose no threat to society and whose lives matter, and they should be with us too. Yeah. Yeah.
2: emotional testament by an amazing woman, Kemba Smith, Pradia, or Bradia. I'm not sure if it's Bradia or Pradia, but I'm doing my best. Hey, folks, that's all the time we got for this first hour, although we went about eight minutes long because it's kind of freeform. It's a special edition of the Russ Belville Show live in Alexandria, Virginia at the 2015 International Drug Reform Conference. we got more coming up. We've got Jason Hernandez, who was, whose sentence was commuted by President Obama he'll be speaking next and Jeff Mazanski from Missouri coming up here live at 6.30 so stick around I'm Radical Russ, until next time, take care of each other Tokers hey, 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 hey. This is the
1: Russ Belleville Show The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you
0: smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down
3: Yes,
1: of it. Plus your calls, live at 971-533-7111. They're walking
3: on their pants with their cap on backwards, listening to the animal man, the Snoopy, Snoopy poop dog. What's to keep somebody from getting all potted up on weed and then getting behind the wheel? Gateway theory does work. It's a reality.
0: How does it real.
3: We're locking up people that take a couple of puffs of marijuana, and and the the next thing you know, they got 10 years.
1: And now, here's your host, the guru of ganja graphics, the sultan of sativa statistics, and the worst nightmare of a reefer mad prohibitionist. A polite, perspicacious, productive pothead with a propensity for PowerPoint, radical
2: Russ Bellville. Welcome back Tokers and Tokets, and welcome to my regular listeners tuning in at 6 o'clock going, what the hell's going on? <laughs> yeah, I, I I had very late notice for it. Well, I won't I won't I won't bullshit you. I was was busy. <laughs> I should have gotten notice out a lot earlier about the fact that today, tomorrow, and our special Saturday show have to be at 5 o'clock Eastern instead of 6 o'clock Eastern. I have to do the show an hour early because there's these events that happen at 7 o'clock each night. Now, there's also, I may not even be able to do a show tomorrow. I may have to pre-record it and run it for you uh, because I've got an event going on uh, like at 5 tomorrow as well. So, in fact, you know what? You know what, folks? I'm just going to call it right now. There won't be a show tomorrow. Our Friday show will be postponed to Saturday. How's that? Okay, (laughs) that way I don't have to keep you on pins and needles. We won't have a live show tomorrow. We'll have our show live on Saturday night, five o'clock p.m. Eastern Time, live here from Alexandria, Virginia at the 2015 Reform Conference. And uh, also getting a lot of notices from folks on Twitter and Facebook and all around uh, about this switch to CannabisRadio.com. And, you know. There not being a lot of the same stuff that I had at four twenty radio, like the RSS feed and archives and all that stuff. It's all coming, folks. Where we'll get these ducks in a row. Uh, this is uh, Cory Booker today. Senator Cory Booker delivered a video address to our to open up the the reform conference, and uh, he cited an old African proverb. And the African proverb was, "If you want to get there fast, go alone. If you want if you want to go far." go together, right? So that's kind of the situation. You know, When I was doing 420 Radio all by myself and everything, I'm all alone, so I could make changes like that, just quick, 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 anything that I needed, I could just put it up on the web that night. Well, now, I'm with CannabisRadio.com, and there's, like, people involved. There's teams, and there's, you know other shows and all sorts of considerations. So we will get all this stuff, folks. Uh, I guarantee you, CannabisRadio.com is going to be as good or better than anything I brought you with 420 Radio, and uh, it's just going to take some time. It's a brand new operation, so things are getting organized. Try to stay patient. We're working on that RSS fees issue, we'll get it all taken care of for you. So today, there was a couple of uh, money quotes. That was one of them, the the African proverb. Another good quote came from Rob Campia of the Marijuana Policy Project, who said, "Today, parents are more afraid of what the drug war will do to their kids. Parents are more afraid what the war on marijuana will do to their kids than what marijuana will do to their kids." And I thought that was a really good statement. But there was a panel. That was a panel that featured Bill Piper, uh, Christopher Ingraham, the writer from the Washington Post. Was there? It was a thrill to get to meet him because I just love his work in the Post. Uh, the repre- uh, Representative Rohrbacher and Representative uh, Blumenauer's aides assistants were there. Their policy people on the marijuana issue were there. And who else was on that panel? Uh, I think that was it. Of course, uh, at one point we discussed, uh, you know, I-, I brought up a question about how you know, uh, Christopher Ingraham had mentioned about Project Sam and how their point is to try to paint... Big marijuana is this evil demon, you know, that's going to uh, ruin uh, legalization. That's going to, you know, get your kids addicted and all that kind of stuff. And he pointed out, you know, we got to distinguish between what is marketing to kids versus what is really marketing to kids. And he, you know, he points out the famous, you know, Sabet always brings up the gummy bears. Oh my God, they're making gummy bears. They're making medicated gummy bears. Like I love gummy bears. Uh, lots of adults love gummy bears. There's, Making a gummy bear does not mean you're marketing to a kid. So that was an interesting point. So I I followed that up with a question, which was part of the big marijuana fear that Kevin and those guys put out is that the big marijuana is going to market to the kids. And with the buddy situation in Ohio, the superhero mascot, and now we've got four different celebrity branded marijuana brands. Now I know maybe the kids aren't that much into Willie Nelson, but... See, they sure are into Rihanna and Snoop Dogg, right? And some, to some extent, Bob Marley. So is that the big marijuana? Is that the marketing? Is that going to be what they're going to consider the new marketing to kids? And so Bill Piper, <laughs> first thing he says out of that is, fuck Buddy. <laughs> so I tweeted that, and then I realized, oh, that if people don't know what Buddy is, they might think <laughs> I'm saying something else. But uh, anyway, so the Buddy was roundly criticized, and in our first hour, we actually spoke to Ian James. Ian James is here from Responsible Ohio. We spoke to him, and he told us all that they've got a 2016 campaign in the works, and they've learned their lesson. He admitted Buddy was a mistake. He admitted the 10-grower oligopoly was a mistake. So there's progress being made here. Uh, so that was uh, that was that first panel. There was another panel that I got to take a look at, which was about uh, the militarization of police. And that panel had some opinions that I thought were, I don't know, a little naive. I don't know. We'll talk about that when we come back. Also, uh, coming up at 630. 630 tentatively. I mean, we talked about this last night and I'm hoping they'll be here, but oh, there they are. Jeff Mazanski and Chris Mazanski are here. So we'll put them up next because they're here already. Stay tuned. We're back right after this.
1: The Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation.
9: The son of a Polish immigrant who grew up in a Brooklyn tenement. He went to public schools, then college, where the work of his life began, fighting injustice and inequality, speaking truth to power. He moved to Vermont, won election and praise as one of America's best mayors. In Congress, he stood up for working families and for principle, opposing the Iraq War, supporting veterans. Now he's taking on Wall Street and a corrupt political system, funded by over a million contributions, tackling climate change to create clean energy jobs, fighting for living wages, equal pay, and tuition-free public colleges.
3: People are sick and tired of establishment
9: politics, and they want real change. Bernie Sanders. Husband, father, grandfather. An honest leader building a movement with you to give us a future to believe in.
4: I'm Bernie Sanders and I approve this message.
3: Jive, marry, grifo, grass, hay.
1: Technically, it's cannabis sativa, the common name, marijuana. She has found a crutch to see her through her difficulties instead of facing up to them and coping with them. And in time, she may be ready to try something different.
3: Something better.
2: gateway theory doesn't work Maybe. it's a reality
1: activism begins with act the Rush belville show features the stories of hard-working grassroots activists working for an end to prohibition in today's activist agenda
2: Welcome back, everybody. Radical Russ here. We are live at the 2015 International Drug Reform Conference in Alexandria, Virginia. And joining us at the desk is a man I'm really, really glad to see here. It's Jeff Mazansky from Missouri. Jeff, welcome to the show. Oh, well, thank you. are sure glad to be here. Yeah, let's pull, pull that mic up close to you. How's that? There we go. So, uh, if, folks, if you don't know Jeff Mazansky's story, uh, he gained prominence in the Free Jeff Mazansky Movement that uh, went down in Missouri, gaining a lot of media attention for his imprisonment. So, uh, Jeff, can you give people kind of like the thumbnail sketch of, of how you ended up in prison and, and what the fight was to get you out?
8: Well, I ended up in prison on uh, what they call a three-strike law. Um uh, I was in trouble three different times for strictly marijuana offenses, and I ended up getting a life sentence. About 12 13 years into my sentence, uh, I've learned that it was a life without. My family had been fighting the whole time, and of course I have in any way I could. But uh, we finally put something on the Internet. It didn't catch a whole lot of traction, but my son went to a uh, show-me-cannabis meeting. And that was a meeting in 2012, I think it was. Uh, it might have been 14, where he uh, was trying to join with them to collect signatures when Missouri was trying to legalize marijuana. They were trying to get a, a ballot on it. And at that point, they asked him why he was there. And, he, of course, he told them a story about being in prison with a life without sentence. Well, no, Life without parole, right? Life without parole, right. Uh, essentially, that's a death sentence. Yeah, yeah. So nobody could believe it. And, of course, they were busy trying to get the their bill put together and get the signature to get it on the ballot. And after time, they, they took time to learn what was really going on and find out the, the real story behind it. And when they did, they jumped in, you know, both feet, and they uh, started getting the word out. They put a couple of small pieces on their website and a um, guy, Mr. Ray Downs, had seen it. You have to be working through Riverfront Times in, in St. Louis. He wrote a story there. And from that story, we got immediate attention. My son said he started getting calls from people that very day it came out. I started getting cards and letters from people around the world within a week.
2: Wow. So. And that, I imagine that the... Lack of contact from the outside world in prison is probably one of the worst parts about it. Uh, how much did that change your life while you were in prison? Uh, did it? Did it? Did Did the other prisoners treat you differently? Were they jealous of all the cards coming in? How did that work?
8: Well, they weren't really jealous. They were happy. Yeah. Because uh, I'd made a lot of friends, got to know a lot of people there. And they were happy to see I was finally getting some attention brought to my case because... None of them could believe that I was in there for marijuana.
2: Right. I'm sure there's people in there that you're seeing come and go for some pretty heinous crimes.
8: Uh, yeah, all kinds of crimes. Yeah. Uh, there was uh, rape, yeah. murder, burglaries, I mean, yeah. uh, you name it. And I've seen all of them come and go. Yeah. And in some cases, come and go four or five times. Yeah.
2: We're so. speaking with Jeff Mazansky. uh a drug war prisoner who was freed after 22 years thanks to a concerted media effort and activism push, the free Jeff Mazanski campaign in Missouri. And uh, now you're out and you're here. You're here at the Reform Conference. Is this now your life's work to try to end these drug laws?
8: Uh, yeah, but not, not just the drug laws, but uh, you know, we need to do something for the guys in prison too. We need some prison reform. Yeah, We need help. Uh, there's some horrible conditions in there, and all these nonviolent prisoners that we have in there don't need to be in there. We need to get them out. So it's kind of a two-pronged deal for me, and they work hand-in-hand together. So we're, uh, we're going to start as a nonprofit group to help these guys when they do get out, find work, also to uh, help pay some of the bills that they have. Because when you get out, any courses that you have to go through that. Guys got to pay that out yeah. of their own pocket. Uh, you also got to pay for parole, for being out of parole. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, and this is for guys that when they come out of prison are having a hard time finding the job. And then what can they do? Exactly. Turn to dealing weed or
2: something and then get back in prison.
8: <laughs> it's the big ring around, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, it's no wonder our prisons are so full. It's, it's designed to keep them full. Yeah. Yeah, uh, especially
2: now with the rise of private prisons, you know, prisons for profit. That In my home state of Idaho, where I was originally born, uh, they've got a, a contract with a CCA that they have to keep the beds 90% full. They've got to have 90% occupancy or the state has to start paying the corporation.
8: Isn't that insane?
2: It's just, I mean, there's some things that should not be profitized, <laughs> you know?
8: That's true. But on the other hand, you know, if they really went out, and caught criminals that were really doing crimes that are hurting other people. Yeah. They could probably still overfill these prisons. Yeah, I mean, look at all the drive-bys that are going on sure. in different countries or different yeah. states yeah. and, and yeah. cities. Oh, yeah. And uh, hear
2: the, the clearance rate for things like burglaries and auto thefts is 20 30% that they solve, right? I right. Mean, there's certainly some work to be done.
8: Yeah, well, there's murder. how many murders are not solved?
2: Yeah, it's about 50%, 45%, 50%. It's- right. You know, it was ridiculous. Uh, Jeff Mazanski is here. Uh, he's the prisoner who was freed in Missouri uh, after a concerted media and activism effort. And uh, so, you've been here for the first day at the conference. Uh, you sat in the plenary and attend some of the sessions. Uh, yes, we have. What did you? Where did you go? And what did you think? What, what new things did you pick up?
8: Well, there was, uh, you know, the most thing I picked up is that man. This this, this is sure growth. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, think about it. 20 years ago, uh-huh. you was just hiding behind doors, you know, rolling up a, a doobie right, if, if you right. wanted one. But now, it, it's so far out in the open, it's like almost another world. Well,
2: when you went to prison, California hadn't even passed medical marijuana yet, right? 94 uh, you
8: went? I went in 94.
2: Yeah, so two years before California medical marijuana. Now you got freshmen in college who never lived without there being medical marijuana. Right, like Their whole life, somebody's had medical marijuana somewhere, so you're right. It's a completely, completely different world. It's really amazing. Uh, in the in the uh, plenary sessions, we got to hear from uh, Kimma Smith-Bradia and Jason Hernandez, two other prisoners. Uh, she's an African-American woman. He's a Latino man. You're a white man, so we just kind of got the, the broad spectrum of prisoners who's, who've been freed from prison from this drug war. Uh, what did you think of their stories?
8: Uh... Brought back a lot, yeah. Uh, because everything they said, I can say again.
2: So, like, like when like Kemba, I mean, Kemba mentioned that feeling of survivor guilt, do you feel that?
8: At times, I do. Yeah. Like the
2: other guys, because like why me? Why not?
8: There's, there's so many others that are in there that need to come out, and, and you feel like, how come I got so lucky? Yeah. Uh-huh. I was fortunate. I had family. I had almost four hundred thousand signatures on, uh, on file that they turned into the governor. And it just—I guess I was just lucky. Yeah. And to I can save. But yeah, you get—you get survivors' guilt. What was the, the
2: first thing you ate after getting out of prison?
8: Steak and eggs. Steak and eggs. <laughs> 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 I always wanted like
2: yeah, that was a big pepperoni pizza or something.
8: Right? No, it, it was actually uh, uh, Philly steak omelet. Philly steak omelet. Wow, that's amazing.
2: Uh, I, it's you know I've I've gotten to speak to so well not so many but a lot of people who've done over two decades uh, behind bars and one of the things they talk about is uh, how you become institutionalized and once you get out and it, 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 you, you mentioned the problem that it's hard to find a job as it is right but then there's also a mindset uh, did you find that in your experience and was it hard is it hard to break out of it.
8: Um. Yeah, it's definitely a mindset because you're always set up to for self-protection, yeah. and following the rules that they have there. So, about the first week, it was kind of strange. Yeah, you didn't have somebody come by with a flashlight waking you up every hour to see if you're still alive, you know? <laughs> uh, and uh, step by a door and sit there and wait for them to pop it. You know, just, I found myself doing that a few times, just stand by <laughs> no, the door. This doorknob there. Yeah. yeah so, <laughs> wow. it, it's hard to it's hard to break. But uh, fortunately, I get a lot of family around, and they kept reminding me where I was, and, and uh, that helped me out tremendously. Yeah,
2: that's just that's just amazing. And
8: uh, so now,
2: working uh, to try to you know, change these drug laws and to try to help the, the rest of our prisoners go free. What is the uh, prognosis in Missouri? Are there bills in Missouri? Is there a concerted effort? Do, do the, does the government? I mean, like.
8: your governor? Nixon,
2: right? Right. Is this even on their radar?
8: Uh, He's, from what I understand, he's definitely against recreational. Yeah. Um, I think he's, uh, I think he would go along with a medical bill. But show me cannabis has got a a bill out with with Normal several other groups. And it's a good bill. It's, It's basically more like from the grassroots. It gives everybody a chance across the board. Work in the field, and uh, we're going to start collecting signatures on it that we turned in, turned in the paperwork to the government, and they're doing their wording to be able to put it, put it on the bill, and we'll start collecting signatures, I believe, sometime in uh, January. So, wow. looking
2: forward to that. And um, now that you're free, and. Uh you know, California, Colorado, Oregon. People are making bank doing what you used to do. Is that something you'd want to get back into in the legal world? Maybe being a commercial grower or seller in some way?
8: I would enjoy that. Yeah. I'd be right honest with you. Yeah. But, uh, but you I wouldn't move saying. to one of the other
2: states to do it? You want to stay in Missouri?
8: Well, right now I'm still on parole. got to stay in Missouri. So I i can go to another state, but I would have to switch my parole over there a bit. Yeah. And I don't know how their laws are. As far as I know, they wouldn't change. Yeah. On on me, so until I get off of parole and get straightened out that way.
2: Yeah, I wonder how that works. I know in Oregon, we've got a push right now, and and it's already in process of uh, expunging and reducing sentences based on what the current law is. Like if you were busted back in the day for a quarter pound, now your sentence reflects what a quarter pound's worth today, which is like a class B felony or something. And so if you've already served your time, you can get out. That's starting to happen in Oregon. I don't know how that would apply to an out-of-state conviction, so I'll have to
8: look that up. That's, that's something that uh, we all need to look into, because there's plenty of us out here on parole. Yeah,
2: yeah, we'll have to figure that out. <coughs> Jeff Mazanski uh, from Missouri, we're so glad to have you here on the show. Before we let you go, is there any, do you want to give out any contact information or websites or anything for people?
8: Uh. Oh, get quiet, you know? Ain't just me, by the way. I don't see you doing any better in the booty department.
2: <laughs> every now, every now and then, President Obama chimes in with something. But uh, we got to—that's t- our sound to take a break. But uh, if you've got a website, go ahead and give it out.
8: I, I don't know. Uh, I would have to get back with
12: you. We'll, we'll get information. back. I'll, I'll
2: promote that when we come back. All right, stick around, folks. You're listening to live coverage of the Reform 2015 Conference from Alexandria, Virginia.
3: Being green is good. Growing green is good. Making green is great. CannabisRadio.com
2: Imagine life without taxes. Let New Era Certified Public Accountants, NewEraCPAs.com, handle your Cannabis 280E and tax strategy. Get your business prepared with New Era CPA's Cannabis Finance Boot Camp neweracpas.com. With years of experience in the industry, we are one of the nation's leading accounting firms for growers, dispensaries, and ancillary companies from Washington to California. New
3: with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at OrangeHillDevelopment.com.
9: MJWellness.com, the largest medical marijuana community in the world. Connect with thousands of patients, doctors, industry leaders, and businesses through shared personal experiences along our worldwide network. Discover new therapies and benefits with content tailored to you. Come grow your network on MJWellness.com. You're not alone. Your wellness matters. Learn, live, and thrive. Check out MJWellness.com today.
2: get.buzz.buzz is the internet platform that fuels community interest, excitement, and new experiences. .buzz is the premier online destination for internet users seeking the latest news on a variety of topics. .buzz appeals to groups active in blogging, communications, journalism, advertising, and marketing. .buzz offers registrants a stronger alternative to the shrinking namespace of existing top-level domain names such as .com, .net, and .org. Get your name now at get.buzz.
0: to keep somebody from getting all potted up on weed and then getting behind the wheel.
1: The Russ Belleville Show reminds you to never smoke and drive impaired. Hang out for a while. Share. That's
2: right, folks, hang out for a while and share. Radical Russ here live from Reform Conference 2015 in Alexandria, Virginia. And today has kind of been a, a show about the freed pot POWs. We heard earlier from Kemba Smith-Bradia. She spoke at the opening plenary session. An African-American woman who ended up doing time, getting a 24-year sentence because she was the girlfriend of a drug dealer. And one time she uh, helped transfer some money to one of the customers. And because of that, she gets caught up in the whole conspiracy web. Next thing you know, she's got 24 years. She was granted clemency by President Clinton back in the 90s. And then we uh, just spoke live here with uh, Jeff Mazansky, the prisoner in uh, Missouri, who, due to the three strikes rule, uh, had three different strikes for nonviolent marijuana offenses, ended up getting life without parole, sentenced to life without parole. And uh, he was freed after 22 and a half years, uh, thanks to a concerted media campaign and activism effort. Our final... Uh, member of the trilogy, is uh, Jason Hernandez, who spoke after Kemba Smith at the Reform Conference plenary session, a Latino man who was freed from his uh, prison sentence uh, by President Obama recently. We go back to the Reform Conference. Kemba Smith is going to be introducing Jason Hernandez. Enjoy. I'm grateful for that survivor's
11: But Jason Fernandez, he's gonna come up right after me. He is the first Latino to be granted clemency by President Obama. He grew up in McKinney, Texas, following the footsteps of his brother in a neighborhood where everyone was dealing drugs or using drugs. Jason began selling drugs at the age of 15. He was arrested and sentenced in 1998 for possession and sale of crack, along with his brother and their supplier, who was caught with a similar amount of cocaine. Because of mandatory sentencing enhancements for crack, Hernandez got life, while his supplier got 12 years. Jason was 21 years old and the father of a seven-month-old baby, Boy. Facing a life of incarceration, Hernandez all but gave up, resigning himself to the idea that he would never again be a free man. That changed when his brother, also serving time on drug charges, was killed in 2002. Hernandez would do whatever it took to get out of prison. In December 2013, Jason was one of the eight prisoners whose sentences were commuted by President Obama, Jason now works as a restaurant at a restaurant called Cafe Momentum in Dallas area, where he mentors young people who've been in juvenile detention. Let's give a hand.
12: Texas, so I'm going to try to be as you know, aggressive as I can as my former counterparts from New York are, but you know in Texas, we're, we're kind of laid back, but I know I know the meaning of what's going on here today. So, first off, I want to say I was the first Latino, granted clemency of President Obama, and I take great pride in that. the reason I take great pride in that is because of the 89 people who have been granted clemency, only 10% have been Latinos. And of them 10%, not one was a female. Now what does that say? Does that say that there's not Hispanics in prison serving unfair, unconstitutional sentences? No, nah, they don't say that because I can tell you here that there are, that I was there when they entered the prison and I was there when they passed away from them sentences. Does it say that President Obama do not like Hispanics? No, I don't say that. That's absurd. There is no doubt in my mind that President Obama is just beating his head on the wall, wondering where Latinos have been at in this fight against the war on drugs. It seems to me like it's been more of a war against minorities. Yeah. Yeah. So what does it say about our people in prison and why they haven't been released? I can tell you what it says. It, it says that nobody's fighting for us, not even our own people. Why is that? Hopefully today, today that, that change can start because there's people in there and they're dying from these sentences. We've got to stand up. We've got to stand up now. Now i got a message for... I've been holding that in for a while and i got something I want to say to the President of the United States now. Okay, I can't tell you enough, you know, how great it is to be up here today. I mean, it's a miracle, no doubt. I mean, I was supposed to die in prison no less than two, two years ago. But I can also tell you about another feeling that I have that y'all never experienced. And that is waking up every day, going to sleep every day, thinking that I was going to die in prison. But unfortunately, you know, at the age of 21, I got involved in drugs and I was sentenced to life without parole plus 20, 20, 20, 20, 40, 40, and 60 years of imprisonment. The reason my sentence was so excessive was not because my crime involved guns, gangs, links to cartels, or violence, because my crime had none of that. The reason my sentence was so excessive was because I didn't want to cooperate and because my crime involved crack cocaine, a drug that was punished 100 times more severely than powder cocaine at the time that I got sentenced. A drug which the only difference between the two is is that crack cocaine is more prevalent in communities of color. The only difference. Now Congress has claimed to fix this disparity not by eliminating the 100 to one ratio but by reducing it 18 to one. But I'm sure if you were to ask the individuals in prison to serve life without parole, or ask their families, their children, what they think about the Fair Sentence Act, and they would tell you that it is anything but fair. Yeah. Now, it was hard in prison, and it was only because of organizations like the Drug Policy Alliance and others that were fighting for us and other drug offenders, that kept my spirits high and kept my faith alive. As I've said, in 2013, President Obama reduced my life without parole sentence to 20 years. Ultimately, I served over 17 years in prison. Now, there are no no words I can describe, I can say that, will describe, you know, the day I felt on that clemency. But the one feeling I will never forget is that I had to return back to my cell And look at my friends who were still serving life without parole and had to tell them that I was going home. It was one of the hardest things that I ever had to do. And though they were grateful and happy for me and told me, don't worry about it, that one day they would get their chance. In the back of my mind, I knew that the percentages were that they were going to die right there in that cell that I was standing in with them. When Mr. President Obama went to El Reno Federal Prison, he stated, had it not been for the f- fact that he lived in a more forgiving environment, he could have easily been one of those inmates. While I was in El Reno Prison for six years, and I can tell you that in that prison are some of the most talented, intelligent, and gifted individuals that you could ever meet. individuals who, for without a doubt, had it not been for the war against drugs, could have easily had his job. Now President Obama, I love you like a father for giving me my life back, and I will never be able to thank you enough for what you have done for me and my family. I know you're not responsible for this war on drugs, and I know you can't end it all by yourself. But, Mr. President, with all due respect, you need to do more. (laughs) We're on the third decade of this war on drugs, of this experiment that they've been having. And I can tell you that people have been in prison 15, 20, 25 years, and now that they're dying in there. there's kids being raised without a father like my son was for 17 years because of this war on drugs. Communities have been decimated, families ravished, all because of this war on drugs. That
0: ain't right.
12: No, it's not. Mr. President, you've always spoke about changing the law, ending this war on drugs, yeah. and now you're President of the United States. The ball's in your court. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I know you have only a year left in your presidency, a little bit over a year. But the sad reality of the situation is, is that if you don't act, for our brothers and sisters that are doing life without parole for non-violent drug crimes, that they're going to die in there. And I would say that when they do pass, if they pass, that their blood will be on your hands because you're in the power right now to release these brothers and sisters today. A person shouldn't have to go to prison for life without parole to change, to rehabilitate rehabilitate himself. A person shouldn't have to go to prison to be murdered, like my my brother was, to change himself. It's just not right. There's something wrong with the system, and it needs to be changed from the inside out before our kids enter the prisons, while they're in prison, and when they come out. This war on drugs has tainted every aspect of our lives, every aspect. I talk to ladies every day who their kids are going to prison or either coming out. I was in prison when I was doing time with fathers, and their sons came to join them. Not only at the same prison, but in the same cell. Wow. Like I said, Mr. President, I love you like a father, and I can never thank you enough. But like I said, you got to do more, and we got to do more. Latinos across the United States have to do more. Yeah. Thank you for having me
2: up. God bless you address from Jason Hernandez, a freed prisoner of the drug war. I'm Radical Russ. We're live at the Reform Conference 2015 here at the Crystal Gateway Marriott in Alexandria, Virginia. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we will have more for you.
7: most people who use don't have a problem so i think that you need to think about policy in that way while educating people properly about marijuana i think that's the way to go
3: burning issues only on cannabisradio.com
9: mjwellness.com the largest medical marijuana community in the world Connect with thousands of patients, doctors, industry leaders, and businesses through shared personal experiences along our worldwide network. Discover new therapies and benefits with content tailored to you. Come grow your network on MJWellness.com. You're not alone. Your wellness matters. Learn, live, and thrive. Check out MJWellness.com today.
2: The Fingerboard Extension has fretted instruments to enhance your creativity. It has new and used guitars and banjos from beginning to high class. The Fingerboard Extension has National Resophonic, Hassan Dalton, Larrabee, Heritage and Recording King Guitars, and Mike Ramsey, Wildwood, Gold Tone, and Recording King Banjos. The Fingerboard Extension also has drum stuff, used gear, and parts. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension, downtown Corvallis, Oregon, at 120 Northwest 2nd, or check out the inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com and reverb.com. Welcome back. Radical Russ here live in Alexandria, Virginia at the 2015 International Reform Conference. Just wrapping up Hour 2. For those of you who joined us late, yes, this is Hour 2. We didn't mess up standard daylight time or anything like that. It's just the schedule of the conference uh, precludes me going from 7 to 8 because there's events going on uh, that start at 7. So today's show, we started early at 5.00. And uh, we won't have a show tomorrow uh, because of the schedule. I can't find any time to be able to do a show. And then on Saturday, we're going to do a show at 5 o'clock. So check that out. Uh, we have got uh, some news coming in from our chat room uh, out of the state of Vermont. Our good friend Medigro Vermont, his name's Fran Janik is his real name, uh, states that we're back from Montpelier, Vermont, and the Government Operations Committee meeting. I'm pleased to inform you that all... Inform you all that home grow is on the menu no hassle no permit for every vermont resident over 21 hundred square foot home grow for personal use or sharing with friends this is something that's been discussed here at the event uh and that is you know the prospects for 2016 in marijuana legalization and the point was made by amanda ryman of the drug policy alliance that after 2016 the low-hanging fruit are gone Right? You got California, Arizona, and Nevada uh, in the west, and then you got Massachusetts and Maine in the east, northeast, uh, that are going to likely pass by initiative. Then they mentioned that Vermont and Rhode Island are a couple of candidates to pass legalization through their legislatures. They'd be the first states to do so. So, good news then for Medigro Vermont, uh, updating us on that. Uh, committee meeting it looks like home grow is on the table and uh, legalization is on its way to the state of Vermont now uh, I wanted to make a, a comment or two about some stuff that I saw today on the on the panels that I went to and, and specifically the second panel I went to today which was about the militarization of the police and it was, it was interesting because on the panel was uh, Diane Goldstein from LEAP, a former law enforcer, and Patrice Cullors, the co-founder of the Black Lives Matter movement. And uh, there were others on the stage as well, but it was like a spectrum almost, with Patrice Cullors on one end and Diane Goldstein on the other end, of the role of police in our society. And on the Patrice Cullors end... Uh, Black Lives Matter and she kept speaking about, we don't need police. Let's get rid of police. Imagine a world without police. And, of course, Diane Goldstein on the other side saying, look, you know, we got a bad system. It needs reforming, <laughs> right? But you can't have a world without police. And for me, I come down more on the Diane Goldstein side. And in doing so, I asked a question of the panel. in in this idea of imagining a world without police now part of the, the context of this was talking about the over criminalization of people uh talking about how you know if your neighbor's sound is too loud if their stereo is too loud do we really need the police to deal with that can we have it more you know neighbor to neighbor talking to each other can we have more mediation or something or if it comes to, as Diane put it, uh, you know, cops having to respond to a 5150, which is, you know, a mentally ill situation, right? Uh, should cops be responding to that or should we have trained mental health professionals, a, a special kind of squad or something to deal with that? And then they talked about, you know, the overcriminalization of small petty things like, you know, graffiti or peeling the stickers off the transit bus or whatever. You know, these kind of things that are needlessly criminalized, uh, according to some of the panelists. And that led me to want to ask a question, and that is: in in this imaginary future where there's no cops, if I go to my neighbor's place to knock on the door to tell him that uh, you know the sounds too loud, and he objects to that and punches me in the nose, uh, what's the resolution to that conflict without police? If somebody punches me in the nose. I I can you know file an assault complaint and have them arrested. And then law enforcement can set up, you know, uh, what is it called? Uh, uh, Protection orders or or, uh, what does it mean? Someone can't be within 100 feet of you, right? Protection order, right? No contact, whatever. I mean, I want that law enforcement to exist. I want that level of policing to exist. And the responses we got back from Patrice and some of the other members were like, you know, uh, that comes from someone or you're you're living in in a place where the cops actually come. You know, we've we've in our community, black community, we've you know evolved a a situation where we deal with these kind of things without calling the cops on each other. So you you can have a world without police. And 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 later, after the panel broke, I was able to talk to another woman who who explained to me. uh, You know, she was saying, you know, in the situation with the the guy with the stereo too loud, you know, you shouldn't go over uh, by your uh, restraining order. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, we, We you should go with two people go talk to the neighbor and and she she offered all these ways of dealing with it which kind of i never felt like i got a real answer to the question it all seemed to be avoiding the point it's like yeah sure i could take two people over let's say the guy punches me in the nose then what having the extra person there does what we can now kick his ass better i mean is this is this idea of imagine a world without police imagining that we all just solve our own problems through vigilanteism and assaults and whatever else is that the is that the world without police idea because I don't like that idea. I don't like that at all. And, and it, it was just kind of frustrating because it seemed awfully naive to me. <laughs> like, imagine a world without police means, imagine a world where human beings have no conflicts. Or when they do, they can all work them out. That everybody's reasonable and compromises. And that ain't the real world. There are assholes out there. There are psychopaths out there. There are cruel and evil and vindictive and vengeful people out there. I want cops to deal with them. I just don't want them locking people up for smoking weed. Or, you know, sex work. Or, you know, using uh, heroin or whatever it is, right? So, I have this fear that we're kind of talking past each other. Between and, and and you know the next thing is coming up here in about four minutes is this big town hall meeting uh, about Black Lives Matter and the drug reform movement. But there's a part of me, you know, I, I want to be, uh, and I know I'm the winner of the privilege decathlon, right? So there might be a whole lot of that clouds my understanding of this. But I, I don't, th- you know, some some of this Black Lives Matter stuff paints the cops as the enemy. And I don't think the cops are the enemy so much as the system is the enemy and the culture is the enemy, but the individual cops, a lot of them are really good folks. And there are laws that we want to have maintained. There are laws and, and, you know, uh, we, we want order (laughs) don't we, I just don't understand this idea of imagine a world without cops because I can't imagine a world where, where there aren't assholes. (laughs) <laughs> that we need cops to deal with, right? Maybe I'm off on this. Maybe I'll learn more as I go to this uh, this next seminar here, this uh, Black Lives Matter town hall meeting. But there, there, that to me is just an unrealistic and extreme end uh, edge of this debate. And I think there's some compromise that needs to be made from that side that recognizes that we do live in a real world where we just can't. And, we, and we're a nation of laws. You've got to... You got to enforce laws too. Well, folks, we'll have plenty of time to think about it because we will not have a live show tomorrow. No show on Friday. We're going to move that show to Saturday at 5 p.m. because I've got many more things to do in tomorrow's agenda. But that's all the time we got for today. Thanks for joining us. It's been great here at the Reform Conference in Arlington, Virginia for Sharon Ravert and Jen Michelle Padini and. All my friends here at the Reform Conference 2015 and, of course, the folks at CannabisRadio.com. I'm Radical Russ. Thanks for joining us. And until next time, take care of each other, tokers.
1: This is the Rust Bellville Show. The Rust Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at radicalrust.com.
0: You take a seat, you plan it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you scroll again. You take a seat, you plan it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you scroll again. You take a seat, you plan it, you're growing, you're giant, you're rolling, you're you grow it, you try it, you ruin it, you smoke in.